0: Thank you for joining us in our study of the book of Genesis, entitled The Origin of Reason. Several things fight against the institution of marriage as we know it. First, marriage is attacked by the rank hedonism of our day. Call it what you want, but many are opting out of the institution of marriage simply because they want to live the playboy lifestyle. They, they don't want to be tied down. Hedonism is the belief that the chief goal of an individual is pleasure regardless of the long-range effect this pleasure may produce. Sex is for fun, and the more fun, the merrier. To be tied down in a marriage relationship quashes this approach to life, though some profess to have what they refer to as an open marriage, where the constraints of monogamy are not regarded at all. I personally have never knowingly met anybody with this philosophy. Some Christian theologians support what is called the New Morality, which essentially is hedonism dressed in new clothes. This idea allows for sexual encounters and a lifestyle of freedom from constraints. It's nothing more than a revision of the same old story of hedonism. It's just a different page. Anglican Bishop John A.T. Robertson of England accepted and promoted this ideology in a book called Honest to God. Joseph Fletcher also raised this new morality banner high for many to see as he followed the idea of situational ethics. The new morality teaches there are no normal moral principles that we should follow or attach ourselves to other than one vague explanation of love. Other than this, anything goes. Amazingly, these men taught anything goes and anything is acceptable as long as it does not hurt the other person. This is almost a direct quote from the Wicca Riddy. Do harm to no one, but do as you please. The Wicca is witchcraft, raw paganism. Wicca is widely accepted as a modern form of paganism and is growing in leaps and bounds, one of the fastest growing religions in America. Again, nothing is new on the scene. It's just paganism with modern revisionism. The idea of hurting someone is terribly subjective. Let's say someone decides to have an affair and engage in intercourse with their paramour. Nobody else really needs to know, it's none of their business, is it? But who says this affair does not cause any pain? The consequences may inflict tremendous harm down the road. Then what? Well, if nothing else, their affair will almost certainly bring damage to their view on marriage. That, my friend, will bring hurt to society as a whole. One person accepting a lie can bring significant problems to bear on a culture. You don't think? Well, consider Eve. Marriage has begun to suffer since we begin to accept adultery as a normal practice. Scripture offers little room regarding this matter. When Christ was confronted on this, he gave clear, unambiguous answers. His remarks have been reasoned down, though, and they've been smoothed out over the years, yet... They're clearly put forth in scripture in Matthew 19, 9. He said, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, save for the cause of sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Now what does that say? How many people are sitting within the church today that literally are in adultery? This exceeds the remedies being offered by most relationship experts in practice today. We're being told that we need to end the relationship we're presently in if we're unhappy, or if there's arguments that are going on, or if there's emotional damage taking place. We're supposed to do this before seeking to establish another relationship, but bring closure to the one before opening up another one. They're recommending divorce and remarriage. Others like Mira Kirschenbaum, who is the clinical director of the Chestnut Hill Institute, a center of relationship therapy research in Boston, Massachusetts. She has over 30 years of practice and has written 10 books in Boston. She says in her book, When Good People Have Affairs, that affairs are a good thing. In her opinion, she says, these people are suffering terribly and need to be relieved from their sense of guilt and shame because the emotions of that are paralyzing. In her book, she tells us that Sometimes an affair can be the best way for a person who has been unfaithful to get the information and impetus to change. If handled right, she says, affairs can be therapeutic. They can give clarity and they can jolt people from their inertia. You could think of it as a radical but necessary medical procedure. She concludes by saying, if your marriage is in cardiac arrest, An affair could be the defibrillator. Her remedy is an attempt to relieve the anxiety and guilt that accompanies adultery. She's trying to excuse sinful behavior and soothe the minds of the guilty. She's justifying Adam's contention. Lord, this lady you gave to me. But let's ask an honest question. If adultery helps a boring marriage... Why are there so many divorces that come as the result of a cheating spouse? The fact is, whoever does this sort of thing, whoever has this line of reasoning, is showing a great ignorance of the institution of marriage. They have no understanding of trust and commitment. The focus is on the individual's selfish desire that is not being addressed. Marriage is the incidental thing that is serving as the agent of aggravation. Marriage is in the way. Now, if someone wants to live this way, practicing adultery, and insist upon it, they'll believe the lie because it's convenient. Evidence is overwhelming, however, that adultery destroys the marriage relationship. And if you're practicing adultery at this present time, then you're working to destroy your marriage. It'll be devastating, both to you and your spouse. And if there's children involved, lifelong regrets will come with that. It destroys trust, and it strikes at the very foundation of the institution. So the ease of divorce in our day opens the back door to many, many relationships. If the pressure mounts and the tensions are tight and the finances are hard, and it just seems to be driving one party in the marriage insane, there's always the back door. Our courts have made it extremely easy. We have no fault divorce now. One other thing to consider is a big attack on marriage where we consider that abortion on demand has done so much to help to destroy the concept of a family. Do you think that this is a stretch, that I'm just stretching things out of proportion? Let me put it like this. Abortion on demand steps between the man and his child. It denies him the right to defend the life of his child by upholding the right to kill the smallest, most defenseless, and newest member of the family. The court makes the state literally a foe of the family. What American society is unaware of is the practice of infanticide. We want to deny that this is even happening, but it's a practice that doctors and mothers engage in during the abortion procedure. Ralph Northam, governor of the state of Virginia, who himself is a pediatric neurologist with Children's Hospital of the King's Daughters located in Norfolk, Virginia, He clearly described this process on national TV. He said, here's how we do it. When we talk about a third trimester abortion, these are done with the consent of obviously the mother, with the consent of the physician, and really more than one physician, by the way. And it's done in cases where there may be severe deformities. There may be a fetus that's non-viable. If the mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly what would happen, he continued. The infant would be delivered the infant would be kept comfortable now you have a living baby sitting there that has been born the infant would be resuscitated if that's what the mother and the family desired and then with the living child laying right there outside of the womb then a discussion would ensue between the, the physician and the mother regarding killing the child that is called infanticide that is murder and that is the governor of the state of Virginia who said that WTOP radio in Washington DC on January 30th 2019 the ensuing conversation between the mother and the physician would be about ending the life of the child which has been born should it live or should it die the doctor and the mother have to decide that this interview was aired on January 30, 2019, in response to an abortion bill allowing for abortion during the third trimester of pregnancy. This bill was sponsored by Virginia House Delegate Kathy Tran. The bill, HB 2491, was calling for a rollback on restrictions related to abortion. In the conversation on the floor of the Virginia State House, Tran was questioned by a fellow delegate named Todd Gilbert. Todd asked, How late in the third trimester could a physician perform an abortion if he indicated it would impair the mental health of the woman? Tron responded, through the third trimester. The third trimester goes all the way up to 40 weeks. Well, where it's obvious that a woman is about to give birth, Gilbert asked, would that still be a point at which she could request an abortion if she was so certified? She's dilating. Tron said, my bill would allow that. Yes. Jaws dropped throughout the nation. The bill failed to pass, That this was discussed in an open forum among leaders in Virginia is shocking. In that representative, Kathy Tron was steady, serious, unwavering, and sincere was very appalling. Indeed, this caused a national furor and many voiced indignations. Essentially, there is right now a hard push in this nation for illegal infanticide. We shake our heads and we say that will never happen. That'll never happen. Eight states presently have no gestational limits on abortion. New York, Alaska, Colorado, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, Oregon and Vermont, along with Washington, DC, have all said you can abort that child even up to the point in the day of birth. Yes. We as a nation are quickly voting to legalize infanticide. Who would have ever dreamed this up? And this is not hyperbole in order to bring an awareness to the public. This is a cry to the church, to you who are listening to this. This is a cry for us to wake up. These things indicate our spiritual position as a nation. And it represents the failures we have as a church that we're saying nothing. We're not even praying about this. The first established institution in God's economy is under attack as never before in the history of the world. And the church is arguing over the color of the carpet, marriage, pregnancy and childbirth serve to hold the family together. They do true. That is true. But sexual activity with no intention of marriage helps destroy the institution of marriage. We can say without a doubt, marriage is under attack and these attacks are relentless. The devil is unyielding. He does not stop. He shows no mercy and he takes no prisoners. If you think he has a tender spot somewhere that he'll go easy on you, he'll help you out, you're deceiving yourself. With the Oberfeld and Hodge ruling about same-sex marriage, they said that it's unconstitutional to disallow this. The entire institution of marriage as God presents it in Genesis chapter 2 has been turned on its ear. And men are proud of what they've done. They're attempting to throw off any and all restrictions. Adam wanted freedom. But look where his freedom and his desire has brought us. Marriage as God intends it may be blurred and confused in today's society. But the word of God is clear. It hasn't changed. Eve, the first woman, was brought to Adam, the first man. They were given to each other by God for a particular reason. Man and woman, this is marriage as God intended it. And as we study and understand these things, we start to look into the true depth of reasoning behind the origin of reason. I want to thank you very much for joining us today being with us in this study. Your participation is well appreciated and I hope you receive something of benefit. Come back next week and be with us as we study again the origin of reason.